People were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they sternly ordered them not to do it. But Jesus called for them and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Today I will be reading from Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In Luke 18, verse 15, it says, When the disciples saw the children coming to Jesus, they sternly ordered them not to. The disciples may have been thinking that Jesus didn't have time for kids, like they should be excluded because they weren't important enough to be by Jesus. I think this feeling of exclusion is one we can all relate to. No one likes to be turned away or kicked out. We all want to feel like we belong. But sometimes it's our natural reaction to exclude, to separate us from someone else. I can relate to this feeling of exclusion heavily. After all, I have two older brothers. But in Jesus' eyes, we are all equal and included in God's love. Even older brothers can understand this eventually, especially with a, help, a little help from parents. When I read this passage, it makes me think about when I was 12 and my older brother Ian was 19. He was a freshman in college and I had just started middle school. One day during the summer, Ian was going to go out and play ultimate frisbee with some of his college friends. And when I heard what he was going to do, I was eager to join in the fun with him. Ian, on the other hand, was pretty hesitant to have his kid brother to tag along. When he told me that he didn't really want me to come, come along, I was really disappointed, and my sixth grade brain couldn't understand why. But my parents stepped in and encouraged Ian to take me with him. And it turned out to be a great day. Ian and I were on the same team, and it really made me feel close to my brother. He, he made me feel like I belonged on that field and wasn't just a tag along. The story starts with exclusion and ends with me feeling loved by Ian and like I was an equal in his eyes. This is the way Jesus sees all of us. We are equal and able to share in God's love together. Just as my parents advocated for him, for me, Jesus always wanted the children in the passage to feel like they belonged and could share and be included in God's kingdom as well. We worship a God who doesn't sternly separate us from each other, but connects us all through grace and love. What a blessing it is that we are all included in this kingdom. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, Be not conformed. But, but what does he mean by this? This is what it means to me. My whole life, I've been an athlete. All my friends are athletes too, so sports have been a huge part of my daily schedule and my life. Everything revolves around sports to me. A typical day for me includes three to four mandatory lifts, 5 a.m. workouts, seven to nine practices a week, 
four to five thousand calorie count of film sessions twice a week, and that doesn't even include the games. Because of this, school has always come second to me and my teammates. In my junior year, I learned about an opportunity that allowed me to pursue my educational career. It's called the Early College Academy, and it's a sponsorship program that allows academically inclined students to get a head start on their college career. For me, I saw this as an opportunity that motivated me to advance my education in ways that were very exciting for me. I started caring more about my academics than sports. Since I was now spending so much of my time studying, reading, listening to lectures, my friends and teammates started to question my dedication to the team and my lifestyle as an athlete in whole. I read books and talked to my professors instead of lifting with them. I didn't do drills and small group workouts as they did. I started focusing on my education and my grades. Now, my goals and perspectives on life are very different than they were just a year ago. Before, I was the last one to get to class, the first one out, and I would never talk to the teacher. Now, I'm more interested in performing well for my professors and learning all I can from them. Money that used to be spent on uniforms, equipment, protein drinks, and pre-workout are now spent on books. If I had conformed to what my friends had thought I should have been, I wouldn't have grasped this opportunity. Throughout the gospel, where Jesus did not conform to the norm, he performed miracles on the Sabbath. He turned tables over in the temple, and he was a thorn in the side of the religious leaders. Jesus was sort of a rebel, but the people that followed him knew that he was doing right, and their lives were changed because of it. When Paul says, be not conformed, I think he is telling us to be more like Jesus, to stand up and act in the way that is right, in the way that Jesus shows us with his examples. In my life, I'm trying to shift how people, and especially my friends, see me. I try to remember to stay strong and do the next right thing. I'm realizing I can't conform to what other people think I should do. I can't be anyone other than myself, just as Paul encourages us to do every day. In the passage in Luke chapter 18, when Jesus brings the children into his presence, I see him encouraging these children to come as they are as a part of God's kingdom. Instead of being seen as kids who are easy to ignore, passed over, and even shunned, Jesus included them. When others wanted to exclude the children, Jesus accepted them and raised them up as an example of who belongs in the kingdom of God. Within this passage, Jesus invites the children to come to him, just as Jesus invites us to this community of believers at 2BC. That's the exact same way I felt when I met Drew Kingery. While a lot of people at Second Baptist have loved me even before I was born, Drew especially had an impact on my life. Drew and I first met when he invited me to his fantasy baseball league, and I knew no one but him in it. He read my faith and baptism story, and even though I won our head-to-head last week, we're still really close friends and we talk all the time. It's people like this at Second Baptist that embody community and belonging. When people try and shut you out or ignore you, there will always be someone here you can talk to and connect with. Within our youth group, someone else who embodies community here is Jordan Groves. Jordan is someone you can always talk to or get along with, no matter the situation. He's always interested in what you have to say and will always be there for you if you need anything. From talking about tennis to going to South Dakota every summer, he's someone who's made me feel like I belong here at church. 
Jordan will always go out of his way to make sure you have a voice at our youth group. He will call you out and make sure that you are a part of the discussion, even if you might not want to be, because he cares about your opinion and wants your voice to be heard. While you can't really compare anyone to Jesus, Drew and Jordan definitely exemplify how Jesus acted when his disciples turned the children away. Second Baptist will always be a symbol of belonging for me. Everywhere you look, there are people who care about you, people who want what's best for you, and people who will include you in this community. And one amazing thing about this place is that I have never felt as if I haven't belonged. Second Baptist will always embody a sense of community because they are a bridge to the kingdom of God. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, as he loved so long ago, taking children on his knee, saying, let them come to me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we are so grateful that we are able to continue to gather to worship you in these uncertain times. As students, this past year has been one of the most trying times of our lives. We have had to face countless new challenges and changes all around us. Life has been anything but easy. However, your love and light have been a constant during these difficult times. We are so grateful for the unique ways we have been able to come together to get that feeling of community that the church provides us. We have missed out on so much, but we are so thankful for all the people who have put in their time and effort to bring a little more light into our lives. We are grateful for all of the people who have prayed for us and had us in their thoughts this past year. We know this year hasn't been easy for any of us, but you have kept us together through it all. We ask that you continue to protect us and heal anyone who has been affected by this year, physically or emotionally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Comedian Fran Lebowitz once said, every Supreme Court decision that I'm aware of, I could decide in two seconds because I make snap judgments, which are the best judgments. Personally, I believe that feelings and intuition are more important in some situations than reason and intellect. Our instincts can be used to see God in nature and in our soul and that everything is a reflection of God. These gut feelings are guided by God, the way we allow God to guide us. And when we allow God to guide us, we are not conforming, but rather transforming into the image of God. Centuries ago in the African desert, people would gather in the moonlight for hours of sacred dancing and music that would continue on until dawn. These performers were always magnificent because, well, they were professionals, but rarely, every once in a while, something would happen and one of the dancers would become transcendent. Hopefully, once in your life, you'll have a performance like this and hopefully see a performance like this. Time stops. The performer steps beyond this world like they were doing the routine all over again, like they hadn't practiced it and done it thousands of nights before, thousands of times before, and everything in the universe aligns into this beautiful moment of complete harmony. They appear to be magical, inhuman, almost perfect. The performer would be lit, with, lit from within and on fire with this godly presence. The audience would see this and determine what it was. They would begin to clap and chant, Allah, Allah, Allah. God, God, God. There it is. A glimpse of God. Behind the Gillespie house lies a small greenway with a creek that separates the two subdivisions of Clay Woods and Clay Meadows. To my four-year-old eyes, the backyard is home to a magical forest with a large river under the canopy of trees. Very rarely would I and my neighbor Victoria be allowed to explore what lied behind this vast forest or in this vast forest. But this summer afternoon, we just happened to not tell our parents where we were going. Carefully, we delved into the woods and by the creek to find that someone had generously laid a two by four that connected the two subdivisions together. So of course, as all explorers did, we had to go across. So I began to walk the plank as it began to shake and rattle. It felt like I was on a tightrope, but the jostling ruined my focus and I fell into the water all because my neighbor decided to hop on the plank behind me. I stood up and sat back down on the plank and as a payment for her misdeed, I splashed the water in her face as payment and she followed suit. We splashed the water for each other and had this fight over and over and over again until the summer twilight immersed us in these woods and we knew that it was time to go home. Now came the tricky part. Like all crimes and all misdemeanors, it had to be cleaned up. See, luckily it had rained the day before, so rather than just slinging water, it was more like slinging mud. 
So we managed to sneak to my back deck and use the garden hose to wash our feet and get rid of the evidence. As four-year-olds, we did not do very well. But Victoria and I looked out on the tree line we had just conquered and saw the picturesque ma majesty of the fireflies that inhabited our neck of the woods. A soothing stillness swept over us as the garden hose leaked the rest of its content on our exfoliated feet. And the cicadas gave a low hum in the atmosphere and the fireflies danced specifically for our humor. There it was, a glimpse of God. I know, I knew what it felt like for a second to have inner peace. And I think ever since then, I've been chasing for another performance that can match that magnificence. Every time my gut tells me to do something, I attempt to follow it. But sometimes it's too quick, too bizarre, too unnatural. But I attempt to open myself up to this change so I can be transformed by God. These performances, these moments, do not last forever, but one must be constantly in the pursuit of transformation. And these transformations allow us to connect to God in a newer and deeper way. When I read Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, the line that sticks out to me is like a little child. When I was in the third grade, I reached the age where my mom would let me walk my dog down the street and back while she watched through the window. One day, she was watching me through the window, and a man with a guitar walked by. Him and I started talking, and not long after, I started walking with him. My mom came outside, and I came running up to introduce her to my new friend, Jerry. My mom had told me not to talk to anyone we didn't know, so I wanted to make sure that she knew him. He was on his way to perform at a local coffee shop. After that, we would talk to him whenever he passed by our house, and eventually, my dad and I went to the coffee shop to hear him play. When we are children, we are innocent and carefree, a lot like I was in the story, approaching a stranger with the intent to make a friend. The Bible tells us that without this perspective, we can never truly enter his kingdom. But why do we lose this as we get older? What's stopping us from having these thoughts? While it sounds easy in practice, displaying innocence and childlike wonder at an older age isn't the norm. Perhaps it's due to the fact that we've all been hurt before in one way or another, and we close ourselves off out of protection. But that security can then cause us to miss out on enjoying interactions, and more importantly, it can cause us to miss out on opportunities to love and minister to one another. Sometimes people's motives aren't as innocent as we think they are, but not automatically distrusting people allows you to see the world differently, maybe a little bit more through the eyes of Jesus. In that story, I had a parent watching me through the window like God watches us. Let God be your parent watching you through your window as you walk your dog. Belong, believe, become. I have heard or read, rather, those three words every Sunday for about the past 10 years, ever since I started coming to Second Baptist Church with my family when I was in second grade. Now, I have always felt like I belonged here, whether it was Sunday school or here in big church. I've always just felt like I belonged here. It was this community, this love that everyone shares. Then belief, belief 
always felt like something that I had, whether it was in the home life when I first started learning about Christ, or if it was actually talking in discussions. I always felt like I had that basic belief. But I had friends, and I at times myself, also had struggle with faith. But we had that basic community, that basic love to fall back on, which always gave us someone to push back or to hear from, that listening ear, which would allow us to become later. This transformation is something that only happens when you have that basic community, that basic love supporting you throughout your faith journey. And that is why I think the, the order of those words is so crucial, that you first belong, then you learn to believe, and then you can finally become. That's something that Second offers from the get-go, that a lot of churches seem to forget about, at least from what I've heard from my friends who go elsewhere. This idea that we belong first in Christ, and that we then believe second, is something that is so fundamentally beautiful, because we are human, we are broken, and yet we can still belong here in this church. It makes me think of a time in a place that might not be directly correlated with God in any way, unless you think a gas station in the middle of Kansas is just where heaven is. And to me, it kind of is. You see, last year, the last normalcy that I felt before the pandemic was on a youth trip. We were stopping for gas and for the restroom in a gas station in the middle of Kansas on New Year's Eve, and also New Year's, and it was midnight. We celebrated the New Year, celebrated 2020 in the middle of a gas station in Kansas, together. There was screaming and yelling, and I'm sure that the gas station employees were pretty happy when we left. But we had that shared moment of community, and though we weren't celebrating Christ in that moment, we were. It was that community that brought us together. And I don't think that Christians as a whole can ever keep that from anyone. And th that is why I think receiving community is receiving the kingdom of God in a way. So always know that you belong. Always keep growing in your belief. And always know that you are becoming.